the Wi-Fi router, something's wrong and it just doesn't work. I actually noticed it when I was uh, on, my, on the TV. We have like an Apple TV thing, so nothing works unless there's internet going on. YouTube doesn't work, Hulu doesn't work, all that stuff doesn't work unless the internet's connected. So we were working on that and nothing was working. And have you ever had this feeling that your internet doesn't work and then you ask your mom and dad, why is the internet not working? Am I the only one this ever happened to? It's happened to you before, right? Well, when you live on your own, you can't ask anybody. So you kind of have to figure it out yourself because uh, you're on your own. So I came back from this trip and the internet was not working. And we tried everything. We messed with the router. We restarted the Apple TV. We changed the settings. We unplugged the TV and plugged the TV back in. Like we were trying everything, even though I don't know how that's going to have anything to do with it. But we were out of options at this point. And we noticed on the, on the Wi-Fi router that the lights were, were blinking in like this weird way. Uh, they weren't blinking green or they weren't blinking red or anything. They were just like flashing orange. And I was like, what's going on here? Um, so when we looked at the Wi-Fi router, uh, we, we happened to notice that we, although we thought it was uh, plugged in, um, it was not plugged in. It was actually kind of plugged in halfway, but we broke the cord. It was back behind our couch. And I guess one time we moved the couch and when we pushed it into the wall, there was electricity going through, but it wasn't enough um, to do anything good. And it like broke the cord, but it was still kind of getting, it was weird, weird thing happened. Uh, but when we pushed the couch in, all of the, the, the cord just broke and then we were stuck and we had, a, but we had another cord, so that was good, but it wasn't plugged in. And I think that I, scary feeling, maybe you've had a phone that didn't charge and you don't know why it didn't charge and you realize, whoa, uh, I wasn't even plugged in right. Something was going on there. That feeling and that your heart just kind of sinks. Like, oh no, I can't believe it wasn't plugged in this entire time. That's such a simple fix. Such a simple fix. If we just had it plugged in right and make sure that all the connection was fine, it would have been fine. But because it wasn't, everything went wrong. That idea is the idea that Jesus is going to say to us today, that if we don't have the right connection to him, our whole relationship is going to be messed up. If we don't have a, a living connection where it's like we are a part of Jesus and so closely tied to him that it's like when he lives, we live. When we do things, it's like we're a part of him. If we don't have such a close connection, our whole relationship with God is going to be wrong. And that's what I want us to see in the Gospel of John. So please grab a Bible. Hopefully y'all got one. If you don't have one, I want you to get up right now. Grab one from that back shelf over there. Go grab one. Yes. Look at you guys. When, I, when I'm like, hey, grab a, grab a Bible. Everybody gets up. Everybody gets up. That's good. I'm glad you all have Bibles now. Grab a Bible. Check out John chapter 15. That's what we're looking at today. And it's interesting because John 15 is really, um, it's really just an analogy. And most of what we're going to study today is Jesus telling, it's like a parable. It's not quite like a parable because I think it has more than one point. Most parables just have like one central idea. This is a, like a big analogy that Jesus wants us to see our spiritual lives like this big analogy that he's going to give. So John chapter 15 is where we're looking. If you remember last week, we looked at this conversation Jesus was having with the disciples. He told them, I'm going away, but while I go away, just know this, I will continue to be with you because if you ask anything, according to my name, if you ask anything, I will answer any prayer request that you ask that's according to my name, which means according to his will. If you ask me for things that I've told you, I want you to ask me for. Jesus says, I'm going to answer those prayer requests. So John chapter 15, I want you all to turn there. John 15, let's turn there. Here's what he says. This is the very beginning of this passage. 
He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He probably never called anyone a vine dresser. Here's what he's trying to say. He's giving this big analogy saying that Jesus, Jesus is saying about himself, I'm like a vine. I, I don't know if you've ever seen a vine, but you know, sometimes you've got a lot of them out in like Temecula and Marietta and stuff. If you've ever been out there, there's these big vineyards, right? And he says that he's like a vine, but he doesn't just say he's a vine. He says, I am the true vine. And to us, this probably doesn't make any impact. Like, okay, Jesus is telling another one of his parables. But to the people that were listening, this made a huge impact because that idea of the vine was an Old Testament idea. Bible says that in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, we had some things going on in Ezekiel chapter 15 and Isaiah chapter 5. God said the whole nation of Israel is like a vine. It's like a big vine that God planted. And he wanted this vine or this vineyard to bear fruit. And God in those passages says, when I looked to see if this nation was doing the right thing, it says, behold, no fruit was being born on this vine. It was bad. And I think all throughout this gospel of John, we've seen how Jesus says, it's almost like I'm going to come in and be the, the real substitute for this group of people. He says in the Old Testament, if you were connected to God through this people Israel, that is how you would experience the blessings of God. If you were connected to him through this group called Israel. Now he comes in and says, I am the true vine. Like I am the ultimate vine. And my father's the vine dresser, which in the Old Testament, God is called the vine dresser. And all a vine dresser is, is a gardener, a person who's working in the vineyard. So he says, I'm the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Then he brings in another part of the analogy. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, or that means to clean or to, to make better. It says, so that it will bear more fruit. So now he's just introduced another thing. So we've got three characters so far. We've got the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. And the idea here, Jesus says, I'm like a vine. The father is like a vine dresser, the gardener who's going to be working in the vineyard. And he says, you guys are like the branches. Your connections to me. You're plugged into me for power. And that's the idea. He says, the the branches that don't bear fruit, which is what vines are supposed to do and branches are supposed to do, they're, they're taken off and thrown away. But the ones that do bear fruit, those are the ones that are kept. And God works on those people. Verse three, he says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. What that means, same thing as the word clean. I said the word prune actually means the same thing. Same root word, clean and prune. He's like saying, I will clean these branches. I'll make you guys ready to bear more fruit. And this idea of bearing fruit is something you're probably familiar with, right? We talk about it a lot. If you're a Christian, you want to bear fruit. The reason we say that is we get it from passages like this, where Jesus compares us to branches that are connected, totally plugged in to him. Look at the next verse, verse 4. He introduces this word that we're going to see a bunch in this passage. I think 17 times or so in this passage. It says, abide, abide in me. That word abide means to remain or to stay or the idea that I want you to get in your minds is to be plugged into. That's the idea. I mean, you can even write that down at the top. Abide means to be plugged into. You can write that down somewhere on your page because that's important. The idea here, Jesus says, if you're not staying in me, which is a weird, like hard concept for us to get. And I know it's, it's hard for us to get, but Jesus is trying to think on a spiritual level here. It's like if we're connected to Jesus in abiding in Jesus, we're going to have power to do something. What does it say? Well, to bear fruit, right? That's what the whole point is here. It says, abide in me and I in you. 
as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He repeats it again here in verse five. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, okay? That's a big overarching idea. And that's really the introduction to this, this illustration that Jesus is giving. He lays all the parts out right there. He says, I want you to think about your spiritual life like this. I'm a vine, you're the branches. The Father is gonna work on you so that you will bear fruit. But have you ever seen a branch, maybe on the ground, maybe after all the wind goes through, you guys saw all that wind last week, right? Even the beginning of this week. I saw a bunch of branches on the ground. Um, one thing that I didn't see happen was the branches on the ground starting to bear new fruits after they, they fell off. You guys see maybe some branches with leaves on them. You know what I didn't see was those branches continuing to grow and those branches in the middle of the street starting to grow oranges and lemons and apples. I just didn't see that. Did you see that this week? Probably not, right? The idea here is if you're a branch that's not connected to the tree or the vine, you can't bear fruit. Jesus says, I want you to think of your spiritual life like this. Unless you are plugged in, abiding, remaining in a relationship with me, Jesus says, you won't bear fruit. You won't be doing the things that I want you to be doing. You won't be having the heart attitudes that the Bible describes. You won't be doing the work that God's called you to do unless you remain in a relationship with Jesus. So here's what I want to do tonight. I know you got a lot on your paper, a lot of fill in the blanks, but here's what I want to do. I want us to read through the rest of this passage and then go back in and fill these in because we're kind of taking this all out of order tonight. But I want you to see how, first of all, we're going to learn how to, um, we're going to learn how to bear fruit and learn how to abide. And then we're going to see the effects of that. So Two big ideas. That's why you got a lot of stuff on your page. So we're going to write a lot of things down tonight. But before we do, let's continue and read all the way to the end of this passage. And then we'll go back and plug them in. So we just finished on verse 5. Let's look at verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, if you're not plugged in to Jesus, he says he is thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, that might not mean much to you. Uh, you think, well, okay, yeah, that's what happens. If you think about all the branches that fell off the trees this last week with all that wind, what do you do with them? Do you try to staple them back onto the tree? Try to put them back up in the tree and say, oh, we'll, we'll try to make those work again, right? No, you just get rid of them. You just throw them away, right? You guys have those uh, like green trash cans at your house, right? There's like a, in my house growing up, there was a, the black one was for trash, the blue or the uh, brown one was for recycling, and the green one was for, uh, was for like produce or whatever. Yeah, yeah, all that like tree stuff, right? Right, yeah, whatever. Anyway, that's what you do with branches that fall off trees. You don't try to plug them back in to the tree and hope it works. You don't duct tape them to the tree and, and hope that they'll like grow back. You just say they're done because they're not connected. Here's what Jesus is saying. The people who say they're a part of me, the people who claim to have some association with me, but are not connected to me through a relationship. Those people will not bear fruit. That's one thing. That's one truth that he gives. And then in verse six, he also says, those people will be taken away. And the word that he uses, the illustration word is burned. Okay. That idea is an idea that comes from the Old Testament where the nation of Israel is likened to that vine. And what God says specifically in Ezekiel 15, he says, we're gonna take that vine that used to be great and used to be bearing fruit. Now it's not bearing fruit anymore. Now it's not doing the things that I want it to do. So it's going to be cut down and used it as firewood. 
It's not useful for anything. You can't build houses with the little branches that fall off trees. You can't really do that. It's not useful for that. God says the same thing in the Old Testament as he says in the New Testament. But in this context, Jesus is saying, you know, there's people who are kind of associated with me. And we think of one that was really associated with him that just left. Who's the guy that just walked out of the conversation at dinner because he had to do something apart from the disciples of Jesus? Who was that guy? You guys remember, shout it out. Judas, Judas right? He was connected to Jesus, right? I mean, six months before this, you would have said he's, he's, he's remaining with Christ. He's abiding in Christ. But what did we find out? When he left Christ, what did we find out? He was never really connected to Christ in the first place, okay? I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here. There's people that are connected to him, but not really connected to him. They're connected on the outside, but not on the inside. And those people are not going to bear fruit. And what's going to happen to them is if they don't bear any fruit, they're going to be taken out and judged for that. Look at verse 7. Now he's kind of moving away from the illustration. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a big claim. And that's a claim he actually made before. Remember, he made that claim in John 14, 12. He says, if, ask any, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. He's saying the same thing here, but here's how, here's how he wants you to think about it. He says, if my words, Jesus saying to you, if my words are constantly in your mind, they're constantly in your head, and it's what you're thinking about all the time, whatever you ask, God's going to answer, okay? It's not some weird formula, like if you want to get a Lamborghini, okay, just memorize some Bible verses, and then God will answer, you know, your prayer for a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is this. If the Bible becomes the thing you're thinking about all the time, what kind of things are you going to ask God for? You're going to ask God for good things that the Bible says you should ask him for, right? He says, I'm going to do those things. That was verse 7. Look at verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's crazy that God even cares what we do. If you think about how amazing and big God is, he says God is actually pleased when you bear fruit as a disciple. When you do the things that, that Jesus wants you to do. That's amazing. Now verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Right? We're stopping every two seconds here because I just want you to realize how big of claims these are. He says, As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. I want you to ask yourself a question. How much does God the Father love God the Son? How much does God love Jesus? Right? A lot, right? <laughs> you think, yeah, that's a pretty good answer, right? If God is love, God invented love, God is all-knowing, all all-powerful, and he loves Jesus equally, perfectly. Well, then what would you say? Well, he probably loves him a lot. Jesus just said something amazing. He says, just as the Father loved me, I love you. Real disciples. He says he loves you just like God, the Father, loves him. Then he says this, abide in my love. Remain, stay plugged into my love. Well, how do we do that? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. He answers the question right there. How can we stay connected to Jesus in love? Right? The first answer that you probably think is not, oh, I, I should just obey him. But that's what he says right here. He says, how do you stay connected in love to me? Keep my commandments is what he says. But he explains himself. He says, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is telling us by experience. You know, the best way to remain in the love of God is to do what he says. Because I do that too, Jesus says here. Sounds hard, right? Sounds like obedience. It sounds like a bad thing. Well, verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. 
says, that's why I'm telling this to you. It's like I'm, I'm revealing a little secret to you that this is how you remain in the love of God is by constantly thinking, what should I do to please him? That's a helpful way of thinking of staying in the love of God. That doesn't mean earning your way into it. But as a Christian, how do you stay in a re love relationship with God? If you're always thinking about how to obey God. He says, just as I do that with the Father, I do that all the time. Because that's what you got to do too. And all that will bring you joy, real joy. He says, but my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment. So he just said, I want you to obey me. What is he going to command? If he boils it all down to one thing, what is it? Right here. This is my commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. That is what Jesus says. If we boil all the commandments of Jesus down into one, that's the idea. That you love other people and put them first just as Jesus did that to you. That's the overarching message of what he commands. Now, verse 13, he explains more. Greater love has no one than this. This is the highest love that we could ever imagine right here. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You see how when he says, love each other just as I've loved you. He's not just saying, oh yeah, do it a lot, but I would never do it for you. He explains here in the next verse, the highest love that anyone could show anybody is them laying down their life for you. Right, if tonight in the parking lot, someone was coming through with a huge truck and was zipping through the parking lot at 60 miles an hour and you were in the middle of the parking lot and your friend pushed you out of the way and then died outside of 120 East tonight and you stayed alive and your friend died and pushed you out of the way and saved your life, that'd be a loving act, right? You'd say greater love is no one than this. This guy, this person saved my life, right? What would be more amazing and loving than that? It says the same thing, we ought to lay down our lives for our friends. Maybe not in such a dramatic way. That was pretty dramatic, right? That was big and dramatic and, and scary. But there are ways that you can lay down your life for each other all the time. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Now he says, he does that for his friends. That's interesting. So does that mean we can be friends of Jesus? Verse 15, or verse 14. It says, you are my friends, by the way. You. Not just the disciples, but also you and also me. We are friends of Jesus, which if you start to think about what that means, that's crazy. I'm going to be friends with Jesus? He even knows who I am? He even cares about me? Yeah, he says, actually, you're my friend if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends because I have heard so many things from the Father, and now I make it known to you. Right, if you imagine a servant in a big household, you got a, a master, a, the Lord of the house, who tells the servant what to do. He says, hey, uh, go get the salt and pepper. Go get the salt and pepper. Does the servant stand there and say, that's, okay, that's interesting. So what are you going to use the salt and pepper for? What are you going to use? You don't need salt. No, you don't need salt and pepper. It's already, no, you're, I already seasoned the food. It's fine. You don't need salt and pepper. I'm like, no, no, no. Go get the salt and pepper. I don't have to tell you why. I'm, I'm putting more salt and pepper. That's what I do on my... Um, my rice and my potatoes that I have at home, even though my wife puts salt and pepper on them, I just put more on them. You guys ever do that? Whatever. Um, anyway, but if I had this whole group of servants, right, and I said, go get me the salt and pepper, right? And they just said, why do you want salt and pepper? Like, you don't need that. I'd be like, dude, go get the salt and pepper, right? Because that relationship is like, oh, it's a servant, right? Jesus says, you're, you're even more than a servant, right? Do we obey God like he's the master? Yes. But Jesus says on, on a Another level, I want you to realize this. You're even more than a servant because masters don't have to tell servants why they're doing what they're doing. They just have to tell them what to do, okay? 
Jesus says, I'm doing more than just telling you what to do. I'm telling you why. I'm explaining myself. In fact, he says, I am explaining exactly what the Father, God, eternal God, amazing, all-powerful God, has explained to me to tell you. I'm explain- I'm showing you all my heart here. Verse 16. Then he says, if you're confused about how this relationship goes, um, I chose you. Okay, he says, you did not choose me to be friends, right? I chose you and I appointed you. I chose you specifically that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. The good things that you do for God, they're gonna continue. He says, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you'll have love for one another, right? Back to that overarching goal that he has for the disciples from verse 12. So, The reason I want to go through that whole passage together before we write anything down is we're going to be skipping around a little bit, but I want you to see, and I want you to write this down for point number one, um, we need to learn how to stay plugged into Jesus. He makes that very clear. Abide, 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 abide. He says it a bunch of times here. Abide, remain, stay, stay plugged in. Well, how do we do that? I just want you to see that this passage gives a ton of ways for you to stay connected to Jesus. I don't even know if that's a goal of yours, I don't even know if that's really what you're shooting for or aiming to do. But the Bible says that should be one of your goals. That you're staying connected. And maybe we haven't thought in that way. So let's think about that way right now. The first five verses describe this process of bearing fruit, right? And we talk about that all the time. As Christians, we're supposed to bear fruit, right? We'll ask some of you, hey, um, are you a real Christian? And the first thing you say is, I think so because I'm bearing fruit. Or I don't know because I don't see fruit. We use that language a lot at church. But I want us to kind of step, take a step back and remember what that means. What is fruit? What are we talking about? I think the basic idea of fruit, right? When it's used in the Bible about Christians, it's like something that starts on the inside that results in something on the outside. Because fruit can be good or bad, right? The Bible describes good fruit and bad fruit. Galatians 5 describes the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh, right? So something that starts on the inside and feeds to the outside. So one of the fruits that we see in the Bible, some of the bad fruits are, are, are the fruit of like anger and hatred is a, is a fruit, right? Because it, it starts in the heart and it shows itself on the outside, right? What he's saying here is the fruit that he's looking for on this vine is good fruit. He says, because all the times he mentions here, hey, if, if vines aren't, if branches aren't bearing fruit, they're going to be taken up and thrown away. So clearly the fruit that Jesus is talking about is something like a righteous life, something like uh, a real relationship with him. It's something like understanding God's word and applying God's word. Also, I think at the end where he says, your fruit will abide in verse 16, I think he's having some kind of idea of the people that need to be saved through them. So the idea of fruit covers a lot. Right? And I don't want it to cover so much that it means nothing to you, but I do want you to, to kind of think that through. It's the right and intended spiritual thing that happens on the inside that flows to the works that happen on the outside. So I want you to write this down for the first subpoint. okay? How do we stay plugged in? The first thing is we're drawing power to bear fruit. Draw power to bear fruit. And you might think, well, if the fruit that we're talking about is like speaking better words or maybe not speaking better words, but maybe um, not lying anymore or whatever you would categorize as good fruit in the Christian life. Here's the thing. Um, The question for you is, could you do that without Jesus? 
Could you have really good fruit without Jesus? And the thing that he says a couple different times, specifically in verse five, he makes it very clear. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So simple answer. Can you bear good fruit? Can you show the fruit of a Christian? Real, genuine fruit that starts on the inside and goes to the outside. Can you show that if you're not a Christian? Answer, no. But can you show some sort of replication of that fruit? Can you show some sort of replica or, or, or the plastic fruit, right, that, that looks good on the outside, but it's not real? Totally. People do that all the time. Jesus condemned the Pharisees all the time for producing this outward fruit that wasn't real from the inside. That's important for us to know. It says here that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So the reason I gave that illustration at the beginning about plugging in the, the Wi-Fi router is I cannot have internet unless my Wi-Fi router is drawing power from the socket, from the electricity that's running through the house that comes from outside, right? I cannot have the internet without that, right? You can't charge your phone without that. You can't use your computer or your TV without that. And, and unless it's plugged in and having like this, it's almost like a living relationship. Like it's drawing power from the outlet. That's the same idea as a branch and a vine. And that's why I gave that to you because that's how I want you to think of it, right? We're not farmers here, unless you're a farmer. Um, you're probably not doing much work with, with plants and, and trees, but you know what it is to unplug something and for it to not work unless it's plugged in, right? The idea here is if you're not plugged into Jesus through a relationship, you can't bear these good fruits. Because some of us ask, well, I, I want to be a Christian, but I'm just not seeing good fruits in my life, right? That might be a, a struggle for some of you. You're thinking, man, I'm not seeing the fruit that I want to see. Well, here's the question. Let's go back to the beginning. Are you actually connected to Jesus? That's where all that starts. All starts with being connected to Jesus. Once you write down a passage from the New Testament, it's Colossians 1, 28 and 29. This passage, Paul is saying to this, this church, look, what kind of fruit are you bearing? He says, for me, I want to be bearing good fruit. And the first reason I want to, something that I'm going to do, this is the first fruit. He says, we're going to proclaim Jesus. We're going to tell people about Jesus. This is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. It says, Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So when we're producing fruit, right? Who's producing that fruit? Is it God or is it us, right? The answer is yes. Yes, who's producing fruit? God or, or us? Yes, both, yes. Who, who's producing it? Well, God is producing because ultimately he's supplying the energy, but who's, who's doing it? God is using us to do those good fruits, the good fruits of obeying your parents, the good fruits uh, of stopping those bad words, the good fruits of being kind, the good fruits of loving one another, all those good fruits. Who's producing that in you? If it's happening, you know who's to blame, <laughs> to blame in a positive way. It's God. God's doing it through you. But are you doing it? Yes. But ultimately, God is, is giving you the power. So, so I say draw that power to bear fruit. Next thing is, if we go back to our passage and we look at verse 2, it says that every branch that doesn't bear good fruit is taken away. Every branch that does bear fruit, on the other hand, those branches are pruned. When you think about working with the tree, 
you have to prune trees. It's kind of a weird word. I don't know. I don't like the word. Um, the word actually means to, to clean or to, to cleanse out, right? So, so you could just say that. When you're working with a tree and you want it to bear fruit, you know what you have to do sometimes? You cut off the, the, the bad branches, right? You cut things off, cut things away from it so that it, it has space to grow. Sometimes if you've got trees that are like hanging down with its fruits, sometimes you've got to cut off some branches that are getting in the way of its growth. You have to do that to produce more good fruit. What this is saying is in our relationship with, with God, or with Jesus specifically, what, what God is going to do, the Father is going to do to you, if you are bearing fruit, he's going to make things uncomfortable so that you can bear more fruit. Okay? He's going to prune you. What does that look like? Well, one of the things I think it looks like, the main thing in mind, is that God wants to produce in you more fruit than he's producing right now. And I think the way that he does that most is by correction, but by helping us do the right thing. So the second thing I want you to write down, this is um, subpoint B. We learn from God's correction. Learn from God's correction. Sometimes God makes things hard in our lives, and the reason for it is so that we can bear more fruit, so we can be more righteous. The book of Hebrews, verse chapter 12, talks about how God disciplines us. So sometimes when we're in sin and we're not doing the right thing, we're not responding rightly to God, what he'll do is he'll discipline us. He'll take things that are in our lives that are, are going well and he'll make them go poorly so that we'll recognize our dependence on him. We'll see, oh, wow, I need to be trusting God. I haven't been trusting God. I haven't been obeying my parents. Sometimes he takes those things and tries to get your attention in those ways. Another thing that the Bible says God does is he'll use trials or hard times that maybe aren't things that like you are brought upon yourself. They're just things that have happened maybe in your family, in your life. This comes from James chapter one, verses two to four. It says that we're supposed to count it joy or say this is a good thing when God brings trials into our lives, things that are hard. And these are things that, you know, you didn't bring upon yourself. These are just things that have happened in your family, things that are happening at school. He says sometimes he brings in those things to your life so that you'll be more faithful. Here's what that passage says. This is James 1, verse 2. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When you're tested, that produces something good. It says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God wants to grow you through your trials and through hard times. So, if those are happening for you right now, here's something that you should step back and say, how does God want me to grow right now? How does God want me to grow right now? If something really hard's happening, maybe your, your family is going through some turmoil. Maybe someone lost a job. Maybe um, your, your parents aren't having a good relationship. Maybe stuff is hard with your siblings. Maybe things aren't going well at school. Whatever it is, right? Whatever external thing is going on in your life that maybe you don't have any control over, but it's hard for you. One thing that you should be asking God is, how, how do you want to change me through this? How, how do you want me to grow? How do you want me to be more like you because of all this? Because God has a purpose for all of that. That's why he says he prunes the branches that are bearing fruit. Another thing that he says in verse 7 of our passage, he says, if you abide in me, if you remain plugged in with me, and my words remain plugged into you, he says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I think the big thing that might have already come into your mind when I said, okay, how do we stay plugged in to Jesus? Well, the big thing here is we need to be talking to him. 
We need to be communicating with them. That's, that's letter C here. Spend more time in prayer. Right? That's very simple, very obvious. You could probably have known that before I even said it. But that's what this passage says. If you want to abide in Christ, you have to be getting to know him. Don't tell me I'm not bearing fruit. I'm not showing the fruit of a, of a Christ-like life. And then if I ask you, well, have you been praying about that? How much have you been praying about it? It's like, oh, well, I guess I haven't really. Well, that's why. How can you expect to be growing if you're not talking to Jesus? Just like any relationship. How could you expect to have a better friendship if you're never talking to a person? How can you expect to get to know someone better when you're not spending time getting to know them? And sometimes that's how we treat God. We act like, oh yeah, I want to get to know God so much. I love God so much. Well, when's the last time you talked to him for an extended period of time? Oh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I ever have. I said, okay, why are you telling me you want to get to know God then? Why are you telling me you want to be connected to Jesus if we're not willing to talk to him? Verse 16 even says that. It says, Jesus chose us so that we'd bear fruit and that we'd ask God for things and that God would give it. Obvious, but important. Verse 9 talks about what it looks like to abide in God's love. And what we said there was how do we abide in the love of Jesus? By keeping his commandments. That's another thing. That's letter D. I want you to write it down. Be careful to obey God. Be careful to obey God. How do we stay connected to Jesus? Well, one of the things is we got to be careful that we're actually obeying God. Can't say that we love Jesus or know Jesus and we don't really know what he has to say and we don't really want to do what he has to say and we're really not doing it. But I want you to realize that what he says here is kind of cool. Jesus says, you know how I know for a fact that you abide in my love if you do what I say? It's because it's exactly what I do with the Father. I want you to think about this for a second. When Jesus came to earth, you know what his sole goal was? His mission? I mean, you might have had a, had a couple, but I think if you look at the Gospel of John, you know the main thing is he's always saying, I'm here to do the will of the Father. Or I'm here to do the Father's will, right? And then you might say, well, what does that mean? The idea is Jesus came to earth to do exactly what God the Father wanted him to. He says, I'm doing it. And that's a good thing. And that's how I'm remaining in his love because I'm obeying him. A lot of people want to take this section out of a relationship with God. Maybe you've talked to people like that. Maybe you've heard people preach that before, whatever. You say, yeah, yeah, you got to stay connected with God. And all that really means is just kind of just thinking about him all the time, right? Does it involve that? Totally. Does it involve prayer? Yes. Does it involve Bible reading? Yes, of course. But you know what else it involves? It involves you being a faithful friend of Jesus by, by doing what he says. It also involves you obeying him. That's how you, you really stay in his love. And also remembering the obedience of Jesus. I think that's important too. How do you remember the obedience of Jesus. Well, you remember that he lived a perfect life for you and he died for you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. That's the next thing there. You know, Jesus, I said, was always talking about doing the father's will. There's a verse in John chapter four I want you to write down. John four thirty four. Jesus said that my food, the thing that gets me motivated, the thing that gets me excited to live my life, you know what that is? He says, it's doing the will of God. Doing what God wants me to do. That's the thing that gets me excited and amped up. John chapter 4, verse 34. The main thing, we talk about obedience, right? What's the main commandment that Jesus has here? Pretty simple. You guys already know it. It's love one another. Okay, that's letter E. 
Show real love for others. How can we abide in Jesus? How can we remain in Jesus? Show real love for others. That's letter E. Jesus' most important commandment, what is it? It's to love. I know we're covering so much ground tonight, but I want you to really remember that. Jesus wants you to love. How do you obey his commandments? Well, the big commandment that he gives is to love. So how do we abide in the love of God? By keeping his commandments. Well, what's his commandment? To love, right? Okay, so how do you abide in God's love? You show love for one another. Like that's kind of, it makes sense once you think about it. How do we stay in God's love? How do we abide in God's love and think about God's love? Well, by loving one another. That's really how it goes. And it's like a cycle. It's a good cycle. We talk about that a lot, but I want you to think about that. We're going to talk about it in small groups too. But what, what can I really do to sacrifice for people? Because this says laying down our life for one another. How can I really do that? How can I really lay down my life for my siblings? How can I really lay down my life for even the people that annoy me and get on my nerves? How can I lay down my life for them? How can I be helpful to the people in my life, like my parents and my teachers? How can I be helpful to them and not causing more harm than good with them? How can I be helpful how can it be sacrificial? Well, that all was kind of like the how. And I want us to think about that. But I also, just for a minute, want us to consider what are the good things that happen when we abide in Christ? And hopefully this will serve as some motivation to you. What are the good things? What are the good things we get to experience as Christians because Jesus allows us to have a relationship with him? What are those good things? I want you to write this down for point number two. I want you to experience the gifts of being plugged into Jesus. I want you to experience the gifts of being plugged into Jesus. And there's so many of them. And he gives so many of them here. We got at least five. You probably could have found even more in this passage. But these are the five I want to highlight. The first one is kind of obvious and it comes right at the beginning. Right? The first gift that we get to have by being connected to Jesus is we get to bear righteous fruit. That, that's the first subpoint there. That's letter A, bearing righteous fruit. Maybe you don't think about that as a benefit. Maybe you think about that more as the goal. But I want you to see how much of a benefit that is in itself. That now I used to be enslaved to sin, the Bible says. And now I'm bearing righteous fruit. That right there is a blessing in and of itself. It's not the end all. It's not the, 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 the total summation of the Christian life. But it is a really good benefit. We get to start bearing righteous fruits where you could not have before. Remember what Jesus says in, in John chapter 15 verse 5? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do any of this stuff unless you're connected to me. Famous passage, you probably already know it. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's the fruit of the spirit. I'm going to read these and I want you to think, wow, would it be good if there was some more of this in my life? This is a benefit. This is the fruit, the produce of knowing God, of having the spirit in us. Paul says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay? Now think about those. You know, if those were in my life more, that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? That would be a great thing. That would actually benefit you a little bit too, wouldn't it? Totally. Is that like the main, like, oh, I got to do this so that my life would be better? That's not the main reason. That's not the main goal. But I want you to see that that's actually a gift in and of itself as well. That's what I think John is trying to say at the beginning of his, of his book when he says, Jesus gives grace upon grace. Not only does he give 
grace that saves us. He also gives us grace that gives us ability to live for him, which gives us grace in rewards. And it's just like this grace cycle, this gift cycle. Because Jesus is good to us. The next gift that we see here comes from verses 7 and 8 specifically. Verses 7 and 8 in our passage show us one of the gifts of abiding in Christ. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a big gift right there. That God listens to you. That God hears your prayers. Then he says this, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And that's the second benefit. That's the second gift that you get to have through relationship with Jesus. And it's this, that you get to glorify the father. Glorifying the father. That's the next thing. That's letter B. And that might be a technical Bible word for you. Glorify. You might say, well, I kind of know what that means, but I don't really know what that means. Right? Glorify. What does that mean? It means to bring praise to God. To show that God is good. I don't want you to take a step back and think, wait, wait a minute. So you're telling me that something that I do can have some good reflection on the most important person in the world. Right? Imagine you, 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 your favorite celebrity, right? Whatever. Whoever it is. Right, and think, if I could do something that would have any impact on them at all, that would be crazy. Any impact. That they would even care what I do, right? And here's a newsflash. Your, your favorite celebrity, they don't care about you at all. Because um, they don't know you, right? But, but it's like this. Jesus is saying, if you have a relationship with me and you're bearing fruit, you know who gets to be involved in this process? And who you are actually pleasing and bringing glory and honor to through your life and your decisions? God. Right? If, and if you have a very low view of God and you think that God just does whatever you want God to do, right? That might not be so amazing. But when you realize that God is so holy and set apart and different and that he says the decisions you make tomorrow and the decisions even when it comes down to the thoughts that you have and the words that you speak and the way that you treat your, your little brother or your little sister, God says that those could be glorifying to me that those things, those decisions could bring me praise, that should make all of us take a step back and pause and say, whoa, I guess it really matters how I live. If I'm a Christian, it really matters the words that I say. It really matters the way that I act. It really matters how I treat people. It really matters because God can be glorified. Or on the other hand, God could be dishonored by the way that I live. That's some massive responsibility that should be on our shoulders there. The next thing, verse 9, starts this. Verse 10 continues this. But verse 11 says the word that I want to focus on. It says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, that's another huge benefit of having a relationship with Jesus. And it's this, real, lasting, full joy. That's the main word, joy there. That's the next thing. That's letter C, real, lasting, and full joy. I don't know what you picture when you picture full joy. Right? Total joy, full joy, complete joy. But whatever you picture is probably pretty good, right? I'm just guessing. Um, and I'm guessing that if I asked you, hey, do you have like full joy? Like all the time, every day, just like full joy. I'm guessing that unless you're lying to me, you probably say, probably not, no. I don't have full joy all the time. Right? Jesus says that here, Abide in my love by obeying my commandments, in which my commandments are to love me and to love others. And that when you do that, you'll prove to be my disciple and God will get glory and you will get joy. 
Do you see how this is like a, you know, sometimes people talk about a downward spiral where one bad action leads to another, which leads to another, right? This is like an upward spiral, right? This is a good thing leading to another good thing, leading to another good thing. And the only way for you to stop the goodness is to not abide in Christ. That's the only way for you to cut off all that, that good stuff that God wants to give you, like bearing righteous fruit and glorifying the Father and real lasting joy. And if, let's just think about this. If the person who made you is telling you there's opportunity for full joy, the person who made you, right? Jesus, the creator, he probably knows, right? He probably knows what brings people full lasting joy and what doesn't. And I think what he's saying here is there's nothing that's going to bring you full lasting joy like having a relationship with me, obeying me, loving one another, and experiencing what it's like to live life the right way, right? To glorify God. Because that's the highest thing we could do. Next thing, verse 12, the commandment to love one another. Okay, what, what's a benefit that maybe we get to enjoy by loving one another? And when you think about this, if we really have a community of people, if we really have a group of people where I am trying to put you first and you are trying to put me first and your leader is trying to put them first and, and everybody's trying to put each other first, guess what that creates? that creates a really good place to be, okay? That's another side benefit of abiding in Christ. It's that you get to experience a loving community. That's the next thing, a loving community. That's letter D under point number two. That's another blessing, another gift that God gives when we're really abiding in Christ. We get to experience a loving community. I want you to think, um, it's kind of a silly thing to think, but um, why is your leader here tonight? Why is your leader here tonight? I mean, think about it. I don't know if you ever thought about that. It's a good question to think through, but why are they here? Right? Um, the reason they're here, and I'm just going to speak for them, right, is because they, they, they love you and they care about you, okay? Most of them, at least. I don't know. Um, not to get sentimental, right? Mark's not back there crying, so. Um. <laughs> but I'd, I'd, I'd guess that it's because they love you. I think that's why. Now, if you take a step back and say, well, why do they love me? They're, I'm not their kid. I, I, don't, I, I don't really know them, not at least before I met. Why would they choose to love me? Right, if you take another step back, you realize that the reason you have your leaders here tonight is because they love you. Well, why do they love you? Did you do anything that earned their love? No. Why do they love you? Because Jesus loved them. And Jesus told them to love one another. So guess what you get to experience, even if you're not a Christian, guess what you get to experience because of the love of Jesus? Right? This is just one practical way. You get to experience people who love you, who you might not have met before, who are all over the room, who get to show you love. Why? Because Jesus loved them and Jesus told them to love one another. And now you get to be the beneficiaries or the people who receive the good from their love because Jesus loved. Now, how can you pass that on? That's the question. Are you being a person in your small group that is being so clear about how you love one another, even if that doesn't mean you know, you're always writing notes with hearts over the top of your eyes, right? Um, doesn't have to be like gushy, right? Is that a word, gushy? Um, I, I think it's a word, maybe it's not. Um, it doesn't have to be some, you know, crazy sentimental love like that. Um, especially for you guys, it'd be weird if you're writing notes like that. Uh, um, whatever, anyway. Uh, but here's the deal. If you actually got to experience a community of people that was showing love to one another, that would feel really good, 
Right? Romans 12 says that if we love one another sincerely, it says if we hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, it says, you know, another thing we're going to try to do is outdo one another in showing honor. We're going to keep trying to put each other first. And what happens when we do that? It says that we're going to be living in, in this community, this hospitality community, this community where people are contributing to others' needs, where people will be rejoicing in hope. They'll be patient in tribulation. They'll be constant in prayer because this Christian loves God, so they love each other. That's what God calls us to do. And that's why we have to do that as a group. But you can start doing that individually. The last thing, I think this is the biggest benefit, biggest gift of having a relationship with Jesus comes in verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I like how he doesn't say, you are my friends if you give a lot of money. You are my friends if you, you know, travel really far. He doesn't say that. He says it's very simple and very clear. You are my friends if you do what I command. He's not just talking to the 12. I think he's talking beyond the 12. He's talking to us too. You get to be a friend of Jesus. That's the last thing. Letter E. Being a friend of Jesus. That's the biggest thing. I want you to imagine if a celebrity reached out to you. Maybe you're on Instagram or whatever. Biggest celebrity. The person you look up to. person you want to be like when you're older. Maybe an athlete. Maybe a, uh, you know, a music star. Whatever. They reach out to you. They direct message you. And they start having a conversation with you. What would that be like? If they reached out to you and wanted to be friends. That would be amazing. It's not like, I'm, okay, by the way, I'm not impressed if you follow a bunch of famous people, right? Who's impressed by that? Like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I follow a bunch of famous people, right? But if, if you pulled around your f- people who are following you and you had a bunch of important people following you, guess what that would say about you? Whoa, okay, this person's serious. If some important, influential, important people are following you and want to be your friends, that's totally different than you just wanting to be their friend. You know, when people think about Jesus, it's not that amazing that people want to be friends with Jesus. Because if you realize what Jesus did for you, living for you, dying for you, rising again, I mean, I get why people want to be his friend, right? Because he's done so much for us. But it's another thing when he says, I'm wanting to be friends with you. I want to know you because you're a person who's doing what I command. Now, I don't want you to get this twisted or backwards. He's not saying that here's how you earn your way into eternal life by trying to do a bunch of good things. I think he's very clear in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. Okay. This is how this works. God brings us to salvation. We don't work our way towards there. He's very clear about that. But if you really think about Jesus as your friend, you start to think, wow, well then what I do affects our relationship. I better act like a friend to him because he said the thing he wants me to do, the most important thing to him is that you would love one another. That's the most important thing. If that's the most important thing that Jesus says, and he's your friend and you care about him as your friend, as the person who's given everything for you, that should be pressure and not just bad pressure. That should be good pressure, motivation to live for him and to love other people, even when we don't want to. That's what he's getting at here. That's why this big illustration about a vine and branches and all that, here's what it comes back to, that you would be plugged into a relationship with him. And here's the main thing he wants us to do as people in relationship with him, to show his love to other people, people in your life, your siblings, your friends, 
people that you know you need to show love to. So that's what we're going to talk about in small groups. So let's pray before we break up into small groups. Let's, let's talk to God.